0: to Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. So much of this work is being able to train ourselves to stare at the mind. not necessarily stare it down but witness it be right there with it accept whatever is coming up doesn't mean you have to like it but to accept whatever is coming up and then not moving being right there being right there and one of the greatest ways that our minds can be pointed out to us is when someone else's unconsciousness tweaks our own. It's more contagious than athlete's foot, Okay, When someone else's unconsciousness arises, that in us, which is unconscious, wants to jump in. And it can jump in in a couple of different ways. It can jump in by going at. And it can jump in by jumping out, jumping away. But Usually it's only some, some fine uh, uh, combination of, or, 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 or some variation of either a thrust or an avoidance. It's going in hand to hand in some capacity, OK? And so our work as meditators is really to study that. It's just to study that. And as we become more and more aware, there's this really cool tipping point that kind of happens. We recognize that instead of looking at the other person's unconsciousness and studying their unconsciousness, we become more interested, and this is key, more interested in our own reaction to their unconsciousness. Does that make sense? We become more interested in our own reaction to whatever unconsciousness was delivered. I had a great experience of this coming down from Tahoe this afternoon. I'm driving down from Tahoe, and it was a marvelous series of events that just seem to bring out deep unconsciousness in most of the people on my particular freeway, in my particular lane. <laughs> and I am pretty good at this, usually, <laughs> but oh my goodness. It was just one series of wow experiences after another. And uh, my l- lovely pregnant wife is snoring OK, so she was not aware of much of this. And my dog was in the back snoring as well. It was this cacophony of snoring, basically, going on in, in the car. And I'm driving along, and I've got, it seems like everyone on cell phones going 85 miles an hour or 35 miles <laughs> an hour, right? And at first, it, I w- I got, uh, I was afraid. It's like I I got a lot at stake in this little automobile of mine. I do not want anyone getting hurt. That was number one, okay. Big attachment, all right. Wife, baby to be, precious animal, okay, all right. Uh, and then it became an experience of studying, not so much. What a bunch of jerks, OK? Why doesn't that ass get off the phone and just drive? What is she thinking driving a car that size? You know, that car has its own zip code. <laughs> I, I don't get how, I mean, how, do, you know, this, this whole, all these really, really interesting judgments, stories, mm-hmm. stuff flooding my experience until it was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Let's look at that. And the tipping point that I was talking about kind of, it, everything just kind of slid off the, the table. It's like, oh, OK, let's just watch my reaction. And the rest of the trip, while I think in some respects it got worse because it got more and more crowded, OK? We were closer and closer to uh, uh, you know, crowding of the freeways, the rush hour and so forth. The experience became much more, much, much easier. There wasn't nearly the kind of clinging and without clinging there's no suffering and with, without the suffering um, I found myself I talk about this all the time uh, but I, it was a cool little reminder you know practice what I teach and that is let the guy pass in front of me if the guy's tailgating me and I have room in the next lane I'm not gonna slow down you know I'm just gonna move over let him pass and then go back into that lane. And so this flow kind of started to happen. And I'm not putting myself up there as you know the exemplar by any means. This is a practice. This is something we always get to do over and over and over again every single day. I hope it happens again. I hope the universe conspires to give me exactly what I need all the time so that I can practice this work which is to study the mind. Study our clinging. In the studying of our clinging, we can let go. And in letting go, we ultimately let go of the self. And when there's no self, there's no problem. So while we're on the subject of craving, we can look at that act, the act of craving, the mental activity, the activity of mind that we label as craving, that defines the activity of delusion. Craving comes from the belief in a separate self, not an interconnected self. So craving is non-surrender to what is. I'll say that again. Craving is non-surrender to what is showing itself. It's a very, very special, event when we find craving arise. I'm not talking about craving as in, Mike, (laughs) I need pickles and ice cream now. That's a new one to me. Um, And I've learned that basically you just agree with the life-bearing wife, and you get her pickles and ice cream Uh, because she's much easier to to, uh, deal with. Um, She's pretty easy to deal with anyway, but uh, (laughs) boy, dang, is that funny. Um, And what's interesting is that type of craving is, honey, please, it would mean a lot. That's different than almost that jonesing for something, you know, craving, craving. And people mix this up all the time. Especially in in spiritual practice, they think, well, wait a minute, I got to want enlightenment in order to, you know, kind of develop the backbone to like walk into that fire, right? Yeah. There's a difference between want and crave. Okay? Crave has an edge to it, crave is looking for an outcome. When we crave, we are looking for something please us. Different than want. Now want tips into crave. You can do that. what, What we're talking about is an intensified want. Does this make sense to everybody? Just the words that I'm using here? Words get clumsy, but just bear with. When we look at our craving, we're looking at the source of our delusion. When we can study our craving and really start to see its origins and so forth, we are actually looking at the origins of attachment. And you can almost envision it like this when we can actually see the origins to our attachment, they spring open. When we can really open ourselves with this discrimin- discriminating awareness that's non egoic, it's not like categorizing and so forth, it's just, oh, wow. In that moment, it's like the knots untie themselves and unravel. The clasps spring open. Whatever you choose, whatever you know, visual metaphor you want to throw down here is fine. But it's, we're actually following a, a path of breadcrumbs here. We're looking very carefully. What are the origins? What are the origins here? We look at preferences. Preferences will oftentimes show us our craving, show us our attachment. Okay? Does this mean preferences are bad? Of course not. Um, anybody ever been around somebody that refuses to show any kind of preference? It's like they're, they're saying, no, I don't want to dance. You know? uh, do you feel like Italian or Japanese? Oh, it's all fine. OK. Usually that's also, um, I can't say always. I, I've, had, I've had experiences, I don't know about you, where that type of behavior is actually a setup for being able to veto something. The people say, oh, no, I don't really care. And actually, they do. They're just really noncommittal. OK. They don't want to dance. Okay. And then when they do dance, basically what they're saying is, well, I don't really like the song, so they can then not dance again, okay? We can do this, too. We can do this, too. The minute we refuse to kind of face what is, the minute we kind of turn, we don't even have to turn fully around. We can turn kind of sideways, okay? We're not facing our experience, okay? We're not, if you will, admitting to what's really happening, and that's of non-participatory and in that that might be our preference we might feel very very comfortable there we might feel very very comfortable not participating we might feel very very comfortable totally participating actually going after and then we find craving towards something we can kind of find this indifferent space which is refusal to commit and then we can find avoidance which sources itself from craving for something else other than what is I'm not trying to get too heady here. What I am trying to explain is that the organism, the, the, the diluted, if you will, human organism only goes in a couple directions, toward or away from. And indifference is kind of in this nether space. But it's not, it's not able to dance we can actually crave indifference, okay? So if we can look at craving, whether it's going for something, you know, craving, and, and again, I use the term craving is something that's a reach after something or a push away from something. It is the same exact move. Craving for this, craving for something else. Craving for something else is an avoidance pattern craving this is an attachment either way it's ego trying to enrich our experience with pleasure it is the mind trying to enrich our experience with pleasure that's what craving is the mind wants control the ego wants control those i use those interchangeably ego technically is an aspect of mind but i'll use the two terms interchangeably we find that we turn to craving in order to prevent ourselves from truly experiencing our lives. To keep us from truly experiencing our lives, we'll go to our habitual craving. And that diminishes the honesty with which we meet our experience. Craving is the dance of ego. And as such, it's the opposite of stillness. And if it's the opposite of stillness, it's the opposite of generosity. Craving is the opposite of generosity. It's opposed to generosity. It's a move towards. It's not a non-move with. It's not meeting. It's grasping. So because of this, it's always the activity then. Craving is always the activity that will block the radical primordial truth of being that we talk about so much here. This radical primordial truth of just being, it will block this from our realization. Always. Craving will always block this realization. And that puts us in a tough spot. Because we might really crave the realization, right? But I'm craving this realization. I'm craving, I'm craving an awakened, you know. I'm craving this 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 path. I'm craving uh, awakening itself. I'm cra- right. That's gonna do you in, okay? Because it's a crave. If it's an intention, that's different. If it's an intention. It doesn't have to be ego mixed into it. Crave, however, craving is ego. It's ego mixed into an intention. An intention can really be ego-less. A vow can be ego-less. It's just the way I'm choosing to move through the world at this point. Words get funky here, okay? And I'm, I'm not, okay, I totally will admit this, all right? But we look at intention or vow, it's kind of a promise, kind of, all right? It can certainly have egoic fuel, but the egoic fuel isn't already in the tank, all right? Craving is pedal to the metal, okay? Hopefully that little... Unskillful metaphor makes a little bit more sense. Pedal to the metal. Mm-hmm. I want that. I'm going to get that. There's an outcome. Uh. Right? It's grasping. So, in order to keep this craving from you know, kind of clamping down on even our most pure intention. This happens all the time. We can have very, very pure intentions, but the minute the ego or mind kind of gets in there and starts to identify with it, what it can do is it can squish it. It can make it, uh, it can mess it up. It can defile it. It can pinch it. And this way we will find that boundless love will give way to kind of an egoic love-hate or, or something where jealousy is uh, infused into the experience. We'll find fear, We'll find hatred mixed into all sorts of things. Our intention might be boundless love, but with craving mixed in, we kind of pollute it. We find that compassion, compassion, where we actually are letting action come from, This space of openness, of non-craving openness, we can find that give way to pity. Pity. Think about this. Pity is when you feel sorry for someone. You immediately create separation between you and that other person. You do not see that you are sharing the experience with them. Happiness for another happiness for another's success when craving is mixed in when ego is mixed in when ego's dance is circling the entire experience of happiness for another becomes comparison instead of being happy for another's success it immediately gets subverted and turns into God, I wish I could I'm I'm not measuring up or the opposite they're not measuring up judgment starts running rampant. So in just these simple examples, we find that ego will kind of co-opt this entire experience. Even though the, the intention was absolutely pure, the craving, okay, the egoic grasp, turns every single one of these pure intentions into, boom, a tool of separation. I'm in here, everything else is out there, and this is really hard, it's hard to, hard to watch, especially if it's in ourselves, especially if we tip, that scale tips, and we can actually start looking at our own preferences, we can start looking at our own craving, we can study its roots, study its origins, that is not easy work, okay? But what helps it out is meditation, being still. Being still actually gives us space. Okay, We don't feel so crowded. We don't feel like we are jammed into a situation. We don't feel like we are on the freeway, boxed in, with people going too fast, too slow, and we got to take care of the wife and daughter. Suddenly, there's this openness. Even when physically, we might feel that everything is kind of you know, kind of coming down on us. Emotionally, we might feel like everything's coming down on us. We might even feel like life is raining hard on us, okay? There's space between those raindrops, and we can recognize it. Why? Because we practice it. We practice the stillness. Practicing a stillness practice essentially is recognizing the space between the raindrops instead of the rain itself in life. We start recognizing that, man... We're not separate. We're all part of this dance. Certainly, we recognize that there is variance. I'm looking at an assortment of very beautiful and different faces. But there are just permutations of face. Similarly, we start recognizing this as we become still, as we kind of stop craving. And by the way, stillness, when we are still, we are not craving, <laughs> OK? stillness. A stillness practice is a practice of non-craving. And in that space, variance is allowed for, and unification is allowed for simultaneously. Our experience at that point gets bigger. We don't have to compare face Against face, car against car. Who has more space in their house? Who has the thicker wallet? We don't have to compare. It kind of falls away, becomes just absolutely trivial, insubstantial. We see it for what it is, which is ego wants to play with that. That's a space where ego can really, really grasp. So I would encourage through this, through this talk and our being together tonight that you look very, very carefully at that, those things with which you use to hide. Craving is always a way that we, we hide. It's always a way, that, it's a way for us to hide from what's real. It's usually familiar to us. And when we act from an attachment to familiarity, we really diminish our growth, our evolution, our awakening. This is why Pema Children, I love the line where she says, if you're used to turning right, turn left. You know? That's so poignant. If you're used to craving, My teacher told me uh, to uh, fast. That's what he said. He said, why don't you just fast? And he meant that metaphorically. I mean, it wasn't just that, like, you know, why don't you stop eating? But where you find yourself tilting, try turning left. Try not going there. Try it. Ego has to have you go back? Okay, fine. Go back. But know what you're doing. Know that that's exactly, that is precisely the activity that inhibits our expanse, that inhibits our evolution, inhibits our growth. That usually puts a little uh, steam in our stride to kind of get back into the you know, radical honesty that we need or that we use to watch our life it tends to help that along. <coughs> so, craving, watch it. Just watch it. ma'am. Could you talk a little bit about the difference? Indifference hit me. I, I know that I tend in that direction sometimes. But I also feel as I'm getting older, <laughs> I'm, I'm more accepting. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite so attached as I used to or not either ways. from being upright to being Being, yes, absolutely being upright and, and not having a preference is not indifference okay indifference is believe it or not another kind of, it's a way we hide it's another attachment indifference is where ego is saying don't commit okay it's the opposite of love. Measure this in your own experience. Try this out. If you've ever felt passionately in love, really like where it, it's actually in your cells, it's just this drunkenness. OK? And it can be, you can sometimes feel this with, uh, 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 perhaps it's perhaps it's a spouse or a mate, but really with kids and animals, people talk about this so much where it's just like, uh, OK? Just weakens your knees, all right. Now look at hatred. Find something that you hate. Just hate. I watched a guy fly off the handle at the television the other day. This guy, his name is uh, Shepard Smith. He's on Fox News, and he was he was uh, uh, bantering back and forth. I guess it was with B- B- Bill O'Reilly or something like that and i'm kind of i'm walking through the this this particular area and it's playing on the tv and these guys start yelling at the tv i hate that and i i wished in that moment i could have just i wanted i almost wanted to feel what they were what they were uh, not not like hatred towards somebody but the intensity it was like it was at their cells it was that knee buckling type of thing that love can give us it's just got a different spin on it okay right that's pretty uh, that's pretty pretty close passionate love passionate hate (laughs) it's pretty pretty dang close indifference is the opposite indifference is an avoidance okay not having a preference okay can easily be cloaked in indifference we can confuse a, non-preference, a state of non-preference, where you are literally grounded and okay with everything, content, open. Yeah? We can confuse, people can confuse that all the time with, oh, I'm indifferent. No, it's not. That's not indifferent. That's open. Okay? Indifference, ultimately, is an avoidance. And you can try that as, you know, your own spiritual, uh, Spiritual pharmacist, you know, you can figure out kind of where, okay, wait, wait, wait. Just let's check this feeling out. Is this indifference because I don't want to commit? Or am I just open, happy, and okay with things as they are? It's a fine line. Thank you for actually asking that question, yeah.
1: Certain personality types that watching your craving, regardless of the ability to watch that, compared to another person, one person can watch, the other person can watch, and one can have more success or less success. At the watching? Pure at action based on the watching. Yes. Releasing your even
0: though they can both see the causes of those behaviors. So let's let's go, I'm going to plumb the question just a little bit so I make sure I'm speaking to it. Essentially, it sounds like your question is, are there certain types of people that find it easier not to attach than others? Yes. Yes. And the types of people that tend not to be able to release as easily as others Tend to be people that are very successful in their clinging. Their clinging is incredibly good, and it's gotten them so far. Uh, it's it's helped them avoid all sorts. Remember what what is clinging? Clinging is is ego's dance to bring pleasure to the self system. So
1: can I, it sounds like it sounds like what I'm what I'm getting. Each person at the at the base starts out even in nature. There's nobody who starts out with you know a, a, a self or whatever their uh, being that is less prone to hooks than other people or well, stronger hooks, thicker hooks. I,
0: I think they're absolutely. I, th- I I actually think that uh, you know Briggs Myers. Myers-Briggs, however you want to refer to the uh, the test, Uh, Carl Jung, all those all personality studies, you know, you know, where they kind of start taking this dance of nature versus nurture, and they start looking at this type and this type and this type. The Enneagram, for instance, Uh, we start. There's this long tradition of people who are uh, in schools of thought that are able to kind of pin down, this is what you are, right, and and these are going to be your challenges and these are going to be the things that are easy for you and these are you know for this person you're going to face the following you know your task in life is to be able to undo and when you're stressed you go to this type of right all those things are fine however they limit us and they limit the people that subscribe to them with fervor okay because what they do is they help to translate the chaotic infinite into some manage manageable comp- compartmentalized bite. Okay? Like it's like a, it, literally like an intellectual sound bite or mind bite, okay? It's a mind bite that they, that can act as a handle. Well, that's just my personality and what you've just done. The minute anybody can say that, well, that's just my personality. They're absolved of all responsibility and they also negate that precious Evolutionary impulse that the universe has bestowed upon them. Okay? So, while on the one hand, I think all that stuff's fine, it helps us go inward, it helps us establish at least some sense of our interior topography. What it doesn't do is allow us to awaken if we cling to it. If we crave more knowledge, all we're going to get is more knowledge. Okay? And in in the Zen tradition, I always cracked up at this because they, they, I was very definitely a, we talked about this a 100 times, so forgive. I'm going to repeat this, though. The there four kinds of horses in Zen, not the four horsemen, but four kinds of horses. You have the horse that will begin to march, okay, when it sees the shadow of the whip. You have the other kind of horse that will only move towards the, the path, so to speak, or practitioner, that will only move When it hears the whip crack, you have another kind of horse that has to feel it before it actually gets moving. And then you have my kind, which was the bloody horse. Prove it to me. Prove it to me. And basically, what happened was my personality was the type that needed to hit rock bottom, needed to question everything, everything. I had to go through that fire. That was mine. Now, not that wasn't, I look back on it. I didn't have to do that, but it worked out beautifully, yeah? So I, 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 I'm i not trying to skirt your question. I absolutely believe in that, in that kind of a fusion between nature and nurture, that that's the dance. That's the dance of form, yeah? But what's underneath all of that? Formlessness. And that's where we're trying to go. We're trying, to, we're trying to consciously orient ourselves from that place of open emptiness and bring that into, consciously, bring that into our experience of the dance of form. And when that unmanifest meets the manifest, we have compassion. We have an appropriate response. We have boundless love, egolessness. Ego's still there. Helping us get through the day. Ego is a great manager. It's a divine expression of the infinite, just like everything else, but it's no longer totally in charge. And so, then, where does our personality come in there? It has no real place, you know, of, of massive import at least. It's just the mask we wear. And we can study the mask all we want. And there are people that do. Amazing work in that capacity. I'm just not that interested in that. And I'm not interested in that for any of you. I'm, I'm interested in your realization. I'm not trying to like sound offensive. I love you guys, but I don't really care as much about you or your personalities or your masks as I care about your realization. That's what's important. Otherwise, we're wasting time. Avoidance of craving is itself a form of craving, yes. So here's the, way, here, here's the way around that. Study the craving, all right? In other words, and that's what my teacher meant by fast. He said, why don't you just try fasting, OK? In other words, um, uh, when we're put into, and if you ever get, any of you ever get the chance to do this, I highly recommend it. If you get into a situation where you can be in, um, uh, let's say, a practice center or something like that, And even if it's just for the weekend, okay, you're forced, instead of going right, which you're usually used to doing, which has become a habitual uh, 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 manifestation of your typical craving. Does that make sense, Chair? Our typical craving turns into a habit, right? And you're forced to go left. That's a form of fasting. In other words, you're fasting from what? what? The way you always used to go. And what this does is it, opens up a whole new spaciousness to who and what you always thought you were and who and what you think you could be you suddenly just are you're no longer going into one direction because you're studying you're paying attention to the crave you're not avoiding it you're just studying it studying it Okay. So, let me give you an example. I crave, let's say, chocolate. Yeah. I'm craving chocolate like it's nobody's I'm jonesing for chocolate, okay? Now, being intimate with that craving is watching every single aspect of that impulse towards the chocolate. The cookie is, let's say, right there. It's actually chocolate chip cookies are the one that really get me more than like 60% cacao. Okay, So let's say that cookie is sitting right there, and I'm just, huh, Okay, The craving, watching that feeling my body almost tense up with desire, Okay, And watching that entire experience is different than, who needs a cookie? (laughs) Right? That's another form. Of attachment, another kind of I'm craving, non-cookie. More as opposed, say that again. I'm sorry. More denial yes. Yes. Okay. Non-craving is non-denial. Denial, is craving peace. With the knowledge that something heavy is lurking. Okay. Yeah. Why doesn't everybody go get a? cookie and a glass of milk and just have a wonderful week.